Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Right now, I mean, we talked about it all morning yesterday. It was the news of the weekend. It was a new Joseph Parker. Kimpy and me both saw it. He looked refreshed. He looked angry. He looked bigger. He looked dominant, to be honest. Don't worry about the scorecard. The fact is, he bet Derek Chisora up, and just because he couldn't get him out of there, that doesn't change that fact. Right now, we're going to catch up with a man who knows a lot about this stuff. He's the managing editor of DAZN News over in the UK. He was following the fight, and he follows the heavyweight division, all the divisions, very closely. His name's Liam Happen. He's on the line now. Evening to you up in the UK, Liam. Yeah, good evening indeed, where I am. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks for taking our call, man. It's um, a busy time or a, a bit of a vintage time in the heavyweight division, at least. It's been a really good year for boxing. Yeah, it feels like the heavyweight division is a sleeping giant that has finally been awoken. I know a lot of boxing fans have uh, lamented just how uh, mediocre, I suppose the word is. It was for a long time. You know, there's no denying the Klitschko's uh, quality, their dominance, but there really wasn't much of a supporting cast. It got a bit of a, a routine. Now it's just snapping back to life. We've had so many great heavyweight fights, and that Parker Chisora too was uh, the latest to add to that. A great year for the division. Do they have a, do they have a, th- a trilogy, Liam, do you think? No. Um, a lot of, in Britain, a lot of people are kind of hoping that uh, Chisora doesn't fight again. Mm. I think Chisora will fight again. Uh, he doesn't really know anything else. This is his life. He, you know, he he can soak up the punishment quite well. You don't want to see any boxer take it take punishment for for too long in their careers. But I feel like he'll be back for at least another couple of fights. Uh, there was talk. I, I know, like um, certain people brought up the the possibility of Chisora versus Wilder, which is something that nobody wants to see because it could get quite painful quite fast. Uh, but Chisora, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a celebrity in England. He's a household name compared to some other fighters that have won more fights. So he's always going to be at the top of people's minds in, in some instances. He's going to main event cards regardless of where, how many he's won or lost. And, you know, ho- hopefully he can navigate a decent exit strategy. Maybe a couple of, of lower-level fights, get a couple of victories and, and finish with his head held high like in London, you know, where he's, where he's from. Uh, or where he trains, and uh, hopefully there's a more dignified exit strategy because he must have done well uh, from a lot of his fights. But you don't really want to see him go in against the Parkers, against the Wilders, because it's it's very deep water for him. I think Saturday night showed that. Well, it seems like he's got a decent guest speaking circuit coming up. Um, the Walters or Joseph Parker, who does he fight next? Oh well, the scene's getting really interesting. I agree, with you guys. That was a that was a much better Joseph Parker we saw uh, this Saturday. But it, it was kind of a needed performance, given that the the, the results are getting. You know, he's, he's won three fights this year, but the performances against Far and the first one against Chisor weren't great. I'm sure he would say the same. So he needed a performance like that, and now he's probably to get back in the world title picture. He probably needs another big name to, to defeat. 
But I would think he's only one step away. Names come up like Andy Ruiz Jr., who's someone who he's very familiar with, who's also on the precipice. He lost the titles back to Joshua. He, uh, you know, he's looking for his way back in. Uh, there's quite a few names around. I mean, Joe Joyce is another British fighter who could, who could easily be a good fight to try and take on, and then move on to a where the winner can move on to a world title shot. Um, but it feels like Parker probably just needs one more big win, and he can really put in a serious claim to to I want another title shot. We had a few people texting the show yesterday, Liam, suggesting that Joe Joyce is the most logical. Um, it's kind of all dependent on what shakes out with the other heavyweights trying to match up, right? And there's a lot of moving parts at the moment, and hopefully in the new year we can get a really clear idea and actually see some good fights. Because the last thing I'd want to see happy to the, happen to the heavyweight division is all of this momentum is taken out by a period of stagnant, um, you know, it gets stagnant, and and it kind of we lose a bit of that momentum. Is that a possibility, or do you think there is really ambitious, the promoters are ambitious, the fighters are ambitious, ambitious to make the heavyweight that dominant division again? Well, it's always possible. I mean, you look at other uh, big money divisions at the minute, the welterweight seem completely held up by the fact that everyone wants Errol Spence Jr. versus Terence Crawford, and we don't know if we're ever going to get that. It feels like the division needs that fight or bust. Um, the lightweight division is a great example. Uh, it's, it's been a long time since the lightweight division was seen as such a great division in the grand scheme of boxing. And they had all these great unbeaten young stars. They're like, let's, let's see Javonta Davis and Ryan Garcia and, and Teofimo Lopez and Devin Hayne all fight each other. And it's just not happening. So we definitely don't want to see that. As it stands with the heavyweights... It seems to be, at the minute, the, the, the one thing that needs to be dealt with is the fact that Joshua has a rematch clause to fight. Um, it looks like he has every intention of taking it. There's been talk that Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk would prefer that he took a, a, a fee to step aside, and then you'd get a unification fight for all four belts. Uh, and once that's dealt with, and you'd imagine whatever fight comes of it should come in the first quarter of 2022, hopefully, then the guys like Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker will probably be looking at the summer or the autumn. If they can keep going, they probably both need that one big win each. So if it came against each other, it came against another name floating around the the, 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 the top five to ten spots in the heavyweight uh, across, all the, across all the rankings, then, you know, I think it could very much pair up like that. All right, we're speaking to Liam Happy. He's the managing editor of Design News. He's very much in the scene and in the know here. At what, what's um, Joseph Parker's profile like in the UK at the moment? So obviously he's, he has been known because he got that crack against Anthony Joshua and he's been ranked so well for so long now. But, you know, you, it's fair to say that he kind of did turn people off after, well, maybe people just got a bit bored. He, he needed a bit of a statement. Do you feel like this win makes people kind of notice that he is for real and he is still in the scene now? Absolutely, it does. He, As we said earlier, he kind of needed that for his own, uh, maybe his own self-confidence as well as his profile to other people. He needed that sort of assured dominant performance. And for the record, I completely agree. Uh, and it's a common thing with, with, I suppose, not just British scorecards, but home scorecards. 
how they can be a little bit suspect. Oh. Uh, no one, no one believed those. No one believed those scorecards because if you look at some of those, you're you're thinking, right? Let's just say, you know, we know Chisora is tough. Let's just say he took those punches but didn't actually go down, so you don't score the ten eights. Take them off of it, and, and what? Some of those judges are actually saying that Chisora was level or winning. Yeah. Leave over. <laughs> I think everyone was pretty. Everyone was pretty certain, British people included, that Chisora was well and truly beat. And I think Chisora knows as well. He felt he felt aggrieved by the first fight, and there might be a case. I'm not quite sure. He felt aggrieved by the Usyk loss, and Usyk outboxed him quite handily. So it's just default to hear him say he should have won. But even the fact that Chisora was pretty uh, modest and humble about this says it all. Uh, yeah, I've I've gone the massive sidetrack there. Sorry about that. But yeah, as far as um, Parker's profile in the UK, he's he's got a very good resume of boxing British fighters. He's he's fought Joshua, he's fought Huey Fury, he's fought Dillian White, he's fought Chisora twice. He's, he he has really built up his presence in the UK. But yeah, as far as even outside of the UK, just in global boxing parlance overall. Uh, that performance was absolutely necessary. It's not just, oh, these are two guys who used to be in the world title picture, can't get in the world title picture anymore, so they're just fighting each other. I think Parker made a statement of, of intent with that performance that he wants back in, and he's got a chance. He probably just needs one more big win to make it happen. Just talking a little bit about the uh, fanfare up there, it was it was noisy. You know, you could hear the the Northerners up there in, in Manchester going, Going how for leather supporting Chisora. Um Does it does it remind you of the days of uh, Nazim, the Eubanks, the Bens? Um, are we are we seeing a resurgent in boxing up in the UK um, and the fans coming back to those old glory days in the late nineties? I would say no, because I honestly believe that has been a constant. I don't think the uh, the, the crowd atmosphere has has ever waned. You know, there's a way that a lot of passionate sporting crowds can also be a, a little bit unruly and un- unsavory as well. But you can never deny their, their passion and the, and the volume levels. And I really feel that has always been the case. Obviously, for it, for it to, to reach fever pitch, it kind of needs to ride the wave of, of success, I suppose. Uh, and over the last decade, we, we've seen some success stories and we've seen some just not being able to make it past the final hurdle. But over the last 10 years, you think the Joshua's, the Cole Frotches, especially the, the Cole Frotch feud with George Groves, like when it filled Wembley Stadium, was a great example. I think it's, it's always been there. It's just a case of finding the right fighter, the right rivalry, especially that, really, that bit of needle always helps. And on and off, you know, boxing is one of them sports. It's always as good as its last fight. It's not quite like certain things that have a set season. You know, the cup final of a certain sport is always going to be the, the big highlight or the title race in the league. Uh, boxing's as good as its last fight. Uh, but the crowd has always been there. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, Liam. That's a great answer, man. Hey, um, can you give us this, putting you on the spot a wee bit, but who is who is the dominant heavyweight in the division? Is it as simple as it's just saying Tyson? Or is there a case to be made that Usyk's understanding, and, and well, it's not like Tyson Fury doesn't know the sport. He's a scientist when he's in the ring, really, isn't he? But is he just now the dominant heavyweight in the division? Is it as easy as saying that? It's not as easy as saying. I think it's easy to say that if you're going to do it, and we have on, on the design website, we do all sorts of like, we do pound for pound ranking lists. We do um, like lists of the best current heavyweights, all these sorts of contents that people love to debate over and discuss, which is fantastic. And uh, when, when looking at 
who are the best heavyweights today, I think one thing we can say is it has to be Fury and Dusik one and two in, in some sort of order. Uh, you've got two guys who hold the championships between them. They're both undefeated. Uh, they, they, they are ruling the roost. And then you get to the really interesting part, uh, which one of the two is better. And it, ca- it can be, you know, everyone's uh, mileage will vary. But for me personally, um, a lot of people like to point out there was a, there was a very early fight in Usyk's move up to heavyweight against Chaz Witherspoon where he just he he didn't look his absolute best self and he obviously wasn't against a great opponent but then for every one fight where he wasn't looking his best Tyson Fury's probably had three or four you know he was really, he was really given a bit of a scare by Otto Volin um, he was knocked down by Steve Cunningham a few years ago who's a cruiserweight basically fighting at heavyweight uh, and obviously you've had the uh, the Wilder trilogy, which, while undeniably exciting, we saw a lot of scary moments in that for for Tyson Fury. Whereas the job that Usyk did on Andy Joshua, who himself is is probably the guy you'd list at third on this list, uh, was it was mesmer. I was there at Tottenham Stadium that night, and it was absolutely mesmerising the way this wasn't a poor AJ performance. He was basically neutralised at, at every turn, and his threat was just taken off the table by Usyk. And when I saw when I saw Fury and Usyk had uh, met each other at a recent show, and everyone talks about how much bigger Fury is, and that'd be the decider. It's nowhere near as big a difference as you'd think. And consider and considering the fact that he gave up a little bit of height and size to uh, to Joshua as well, and he, he made that completely meaningless. For me, my money's on Usyk. But, but again, I, I can understand if anyone picks either of those two, there's an argument to be made. But yeah, my, my flavour's Usyk out of those two if they do fight. That's awesome, Liam. Great stuff, man. Yeah, you, this is this is not something that you haven't thought about, I can tell. I, I think this is what you like. It's my lo- job to think about I, it a lot. <laughs> I think you wake up in the middle of the night and you you have cold sweats about this stuff, trying to get your DAZN rankings right. <laughs> hey, appreciate, appreciate it, man. You guys run a great setup and appreciate your time. We love Joseph down here. And oh, look, it's so great to see him succeeding on the world stage again. So appreciate your time and we'll catch up again. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. One man who loves Christmas because he's the size of an elf, and he's got the heart as big as Santa, and that's Paul Wilcox. He's on the line with us now, the CEO of Auckland Thoroughbred Racing. Morning, Paul. Here's a gift for you, Louis. Dave, Lance, Paul O'Sullivan. One of the greatest training combinations. Oh, do I give a gift? Surfer's paradise. Bring a tear to your eye. Oh, you're right, mate. that's 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 a family of geniuses, to be fair. To be fair, no one better, right? Not really. I mean, uh, uh, unless you live next to a big mountain. Oh, yeah, we've got you, we've got you, Alan Sharrick's campaign manager. You'd, you'd think <laughs> you'd think that we're uh, we're trying to get Alan Sharrick to be the new prime minister of New Zealand with the amount Kimpy prattles on here, Paul. Gold <laughs> Sharrick for PM, love it. Yeah, I'm in. We, we get, hey, we wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun, though? Wouldn't <laughs> that be fun having Alan Sherrick as a politician? Uh, I would say that the TV1 or TV3 news, so Jessica and Tova, 
they'd need to be sitting on the button to beat it out. <laughs> they, 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 every, every interview, you just know it'll go absolutely pear-shaped. <laughs> we, it would be colourful at the very least. Hey, I wouldn't like to be the opposition, that's for sure. Hey, P-Dub, awesome to have you on the show, man. It's been a, a funny old two years or year at least for you guys, and uh, we are heading into Christmas, which for you is the busy time of year, Boxing Day and New Year's Day, and I wanted to get you on the programme and just, just to check in, basically, and see exactly what's going to happen because it sounds to me, and like we'll talk in layman's terms, that you're going to be running two very, very different race meets and two very great Group 1 race days from Boxing Day to New Year's Day. Yep, you did right, and uh, it would be remiss of me to not say that. I'll probably get Kempi about to shoot out the pace of the kids against the kangaroos. But, uh, no, it's going to be a big old, big old go, uh, albeit a little bit restricted on Boxing Day. Uh, for crowds, but uh, the racing's quality. We've got the good horses here, and then New Year's Day, those restrictions relax themselves a little bit, and uh, we can have a good old party to bring in the uh, new year and hopefully good times for everyone. So today you've got, I see you're running trials there. How um, How's it been for the track team and making sure that the track's right? Has it been easier than usual, or is it actually kind of working with less science and less kind of sample size? So is it important you have trials here today and just make sure everything's tickety-boo? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the trials are on the uh, the inside trials track, so not on the course proper, but we had uh, jump-outs on Friday, and uh, we had uh, about 23 horses up around on Friday, but uh, Jason's been working all the way through. Luckily, he lives on site, so that didn't stop him from doing anything, and the track got its normal renovation but it's uh, fair to say it's had good rest for four odd months so it's looking in, in magic touch and it'll be ready to roll on Boxing Day and, and then into News Day and onwards crack a million and then the big old cup week uh, at the start of March. Hey Paul just off the beaten track what's, a, what's this Jamie Richards um, news do for the game? How good right? I mean that's that's Tony that's the pinnacle of 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 the what's the mecca of racing? So uh, I, I I don't think people can understand, particularly not inside the racing game, the the hugeness of that news. Like to get accepted or get get asked to to apply and then go through. Uh, we were talking to Jamie yesterday, and and he started the process sort of uh, back in early June and and went through obviously an interview period and and so forth, and then, then landed the big one. So that's massive. And, and, and for the industry, back, back to your question, that, that's massive for, for the New Zealand industry because it really puts us firmly on the map. People know our horses are good, but now we've got one of our top trainers going to, to take the game to the world and up against some of the best trainers up in Hong Kong. Hey, we know that our racing exports, whether it be Equine Flesh or you know uh, IP from trainers, jockeys, is the, some of the best, if not the best in the world. Today, for example, Paul, I opened my Twitter this morning and James McDonald, McDonald has been named World Jockey of the Year, literally by the global rankings, knocking off Frankie Dettori. So we know that Huge. we can... We, I can't emphasise how big that is. We know that our exports are as good as anywhere in the world, but we also want to make sure that the racing and the product and the industry in New Zealand is sustainable and it is protected. So talk to me about what Auckland Thoroughbred Racing is doing with stakes and do we see that over the Christmas carnival this year? Yeah, absolutely, and, and you bang on, Louis. It's, it's now about 
us and our, our obligation to, to make sure that the stakes are right for the industry and, and we've started that this year by, by committing uh, $2 million, uh, which is not where we want to stop. We're going to keep on going and, and our commitment to the industry is that we'll get the average stake money to over hundred grand, whether you're racing here at uh, Ellerslie or at Pukekohe Park. And, and that's to keep the likes of the young trainers like your Jamie Richards and, and all the other younger trainers, your Sam Logans, Stephen Marshes, Andrew Forsmans, keeping all that younger generation, actually probably Stephen Marsh and Andrew Forsman a little bit older now. But oh, the, cop keeping that. The, I Marsh, had, you wouldn't I like that. One in there. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. Um, but, but it's about keeping those young people in the game, but also, more importantly, giving the breeders... Uh, people wanting to buy horses because obviously without the owners we don't have any racing so it's about really jump shifting that lift so that uh, we can be comparable um, up into those echelons not yet at your Everest level or your, or your uh, other big races coming out of Sydney at the minute but we, we want to get it so that we can start competing on a Saturday Metro race day at Ellerslie you're, you're racing for, for good money in, in relation to what they do in uh, Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah, it's good. as an owner, it's good to hear that you're raising the stakes. I've, I've got a couple of young'uns coming through too, so hopefully we'll be racing for those. But what's your horizon, Paul? With, what, what with, does you... big shake, with, with Big Shake Sherrick, <laughs> Yeah, with, with the Prime Minister, that's right. Um, yeah, good man. Sorry, Tim, pardon me. Yeah, what's, what's, the, um, what's the horizon look like for Auckland with the, you know, with Everything you're saying is exactly right, but what's the horizon look like for Auckland? You're, you're in the biggest city, you've got the most people around here, you've got your prime position for the Auckland Racing Club. What's the horizon look like for the rest of the game? You know, Does Auckland basically and the rest of the, the game around the country need to like come to some sort of reality check and, and all of these um, rural meetings need to actually pull all their resources and get to Auckland and race them more on a regular basis? Oh, look, I, th- I think what you're seeing now, um, and, and with, the, with probably the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Brucey. Bruce Sherrick, yep, brother, that's right. <laughs> that, Brucey, yep. So, no, look, Bernard and, and Bruce and Cameron George, they've got a, a really big focus on changing the game up with NZTR and, and where their focus is and, and what they're trying to achieve, which is exactly that. It's about also showing those clubs what we've done uh, not making them afraid of looking at potential mergers or opportunities or, or ways of doing things differently because probably, if anything, one, one thing we're, we're world-class in is, is uh, being apathetic and, and, and not looking at change or indeed uh, being able to understand what's needed to change a game. And, and you see that with how clubs have embraced uh, boys get paid that's, that's a group of young people that yeah. are really excited and interested in, in the industry. The clubs need to support it, right? And 100%. it's not just about putting your hand out and going to BGP, help us out. It's about going to BGP saying, right, what can we do for you guys and girls, but also allow you to make a little bit of money along the way and, and you know keep that circle of money flowing so that they're not being used and abused but being supported and, and uh, you only need to see what they do during lockdown, organising punters clubs and getting people involved when we weren't racing. Awesome. That's that's what we need more of to get that generation that, that sort of got lost or got missed 
uh, and and get those younger people back into the game. And that's that's doesn't matter if that's Auckland and and the biggest bigger populace up here. We see how important Cup Day is for for Canterbury, um, and that region just embraces it. So Paul. every single region has a has a part to play in making sure we we all achieve the same common goal, which is you know the love of our industry and getting it bigger and better and back to where it was, you know, the sixties and seventies. Pete, I love it, Paul. Paul, you, you've you've written a beautiful song there, and uh, I I regret to inform you that we've got twenty seconds left before we're going to crash through the ads. But that's um, look, you're singing off my song sheet, off Luke Kimmy's song sheet, off a lot of good people in the industry, mate. So we thank you for your time. Good luck over the Christmas carnival, and we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Nice chat to you, Tony and Louis, as always. There you're you good go. to talk, Paul. Well, it's always the busiest time of year for the Premier League or a vintage classic time of year in the UK. You, you watch your football over Christmas in the winter months, in the snow, but it's kind of been derailed to a degree with COVID, although to my understanding, they are forging ahead. It's an interesting landscape up in the UK at the moment, so let's head up there. Abby Summers is an outstanding broadcast journalist and um, someone who knows more about this stuff than many others. She's on the line with us now, giving us the update out of the UK on the English Premier League. Good evening to you, Abby. Hi, good morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's morning for us. We're up bright and early, but we've got, believe it or not, we've got lots of Premier League fans down here. They absolutely love it. We all do. Everyone's got a team. So we're, we're used to at this time of year following along with the sport, but it's there's a bit of carnage going on with COVID, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's a massive COVID outbreak in, in the UK at the moment and it's massively affecting the Premier League. I've I've just recovered from COVID. I'm still in isolation for another two days. Um, <laughs> but everyone seems to have it at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but with the Premier League, I mean, they, they met today and they've decided they're going to push ahead. I think this, the numbers just came out literally as, as I've just got on the call to you. I think it was 90 cases uh, in the Premier League registered in the last week alone. So that tells you the scale of how much it's growing, unfortunately, within the sport. And what's the future look like, Abby? Like, what's what's everyone saying up there around this COVID situation and sport in the UK? I think that people are desperate for it to continue. I think the, with the busy Christmas fixture period, as we have it here in the UK, you know, Christmas always revolves around football. If, if you're a football fan, and that's worldwide, you know, we enjoy you know watching the NFL games. We enjoy watching the Premier League games. So it's so important to people, especially in these uncertain times, that we try and keep it going. Um, but there's been so much disruption. We just saw, you know, my team, Tottenham, have just spent three weeks basically without a game before yesterday against Liverpool um, with their COVID outbreaks. There was uh, all the three o'clock kickoffs were called off on Saturday. Um, you know, we've seen Chelsea's team massively depleted by it, Manchester United. Um, Liverpool have got cases, Virgil van Dijk being one of the key ones, Fabinho that is also out. So it's one of those things that they had to weigh up whether or not they maybe do a quick circuit break. That was what they were talking about, but they've decided to push ahead. And a lot of that probably stems to how many people watch the Premier League worldwide and the money that it brings in, especially over this Christmas period. Yeah, it's not an an easy calculation to to kind of navigate, is it, Abby? There's plenty of moving parts. What one of these teams, you you just dropped in your team, Tottenham, or Brendan McCallum, Bears has just absolutely done cartwheels on his holiday in Queenstown. He loves his Tottenham. But what team might be (laughs) affected worse than others? Is there someone that was on the up or was finding some momentum that really didn't need this at this worst possible time? I'd say that, well, for for Spurs, it probably actually came at a decent time. They they were doing quite well under Antonio Conte, but having the break and 
you know, with him coming in, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, it's allowed him to kind of bring players in, fringe players that hadn't really played. And we saw them do really well yesterday in that game against Liverpool. Um, but for other teams, maybe someone like Chelsea, you know, they were kind of everyone's favourites for quite some time to, you know, take the Premier League title this year. Um, and in the last few weeks, when they've been affected, you know, they haven't done too well. Um, and that they've really dropped off in that title race at the moment. So for them, it could be, it could be a big problem. Um, Manchester United, they haven't really played either. And they've just got a new manager come through in Ralph Rangnick. So um, it will be interesting to, to kind of see how, how this carries on over the Christmas period with games every kind of two days. We've got um, a League Cup game on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday for quite a few teams. Um, and then again, we're playing Boxing Day, then again, two days later. Um, and it will be interesting because it's, it, with all the fixtures, you know, there's a lot of fatigue in, in, in that anyway. And especially with COVID on top of it, it could affect Liverpool. Uh, they've only had a few cases so far. But of course, the players that were in and around the squad that have tested positive, there will probably be more to come. Um, and, you know, all these teams are in a title challenge. So I, I would keep your eye on Chelsea and Liverpool and see how their Christmas periods go. Yeah, I was a tragic Tottenham Hotspur um, fan too when I was up there playing with the old Glenn Hoddle days. He had Tottenham in the, in the English team back then, of Gaza, of course. <laughs> I used to love watching him up in, yeah. up in uh, Italy. I used to get up every Saturday morning. It was my, my highlight of the week. Um, but you're, you're right, um, Abby, you know, it's all about, you, you don't want a competition that gets depleted and you've got a bunch of nobodies running around just because you're getting your media rights. What, what's the feel like you know, from from the public's perception, what's the feel as the teams start to be depleted? What what does everyone think about the viewership? Is it still going to still going to remain, or are they just going to start to get annoyed? Well, I, th- I think it really depends on what happens in the UK if there's a lockdown or not, and hopefully we won't go into lockdown. But the cases have, have risen rapidly here in the UK with Omicron. Um, so I think that if we go into a lockdown, the way that we had it last time, where there was no football, no live sport for three months, it was you know quite debilitating to the people at home as well and of course you have to take people's health into that and it includes football um but you know it's kind of what gets people going in this country it's you know football is is life in england um so i think that people will want to try and make sure it stays on for you know as long as possible and indefinitely and i think they had that conversation today um you know whether or not the season would you know kind of come to a halt again and they were all in favor of no and that, that they'll proceed and continue and hopefully with you know these rising cases just as quickly as they come you know they go down and after this wave hopefully it will try and even itself out with this new variant but it's just maybe it would have been a good idea to have that circuit breaker um give you know clubs two weeks time to kind of you know just rehabilitate and get better and get their squads back to full fitness but like i said earlier it's just you know with the premier league and how how much money you know that brings in is just so unlikely that they were ever going to go for that, especially at this time of year. Gee, producer Kieran said you were a jet, Abby, but he didn't say you were going to quote Ted Lasso characters. Football was life. How good's that? Um, <laughs> for, for, da, da, Danny Rojas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got it. There we go. Um, hey, for Liverpool, so they, you know, I uh, I wouldn't call myself a, a tragic, but I I have grown up supporting Liverpool and. When we won the Premier League a couple of years ago, it was almost like this weird kind of this lifelong achievement that then it kind of just was like, uh, you know, it was almost like because of the situation in an empty stadium, all that sort of thing. And then you add in the fact that we beat Tottenham in a Champions League, so that barely counts. What is going to happen if this gets worse and Liverpool and again City go into like a, a classic duel for the title 
and maybe fans can't experience it again. Is that just going to be a, a massive waste? Yeah, the problem is, is that by locking people down, especially when it comes to it comes to football, it takes away, you know, the the feeling of football and the spontaneity of it. And like you mentioned, we we saw that, you know, in that season that Liverpool won the title. Of course, there were celebrations, but not anywhere near to the extent that there that there would have been. And of course, worldwide as well. And that also throws into jeopardy things like the Champions League, you know, and completing, you know, the knockouts across Europe. How are we going to do that if everyone's in a lockdown again? And it just was a really awful time. And I don't think it's something that we can go through again. So I'm hopeful that they'll do everything they can. And this will you know, become under control after this wave obviously dies out, which we've seen with Delta. It, it, it dies out in the UK and things like that. But we're always going to experience another variant. So we're going to have to find a way to adapt with it. Sport is going to have to find a way to adapt with it. Um, just as every country across the world and every sport is going to have to, because we can't keep start stopping something that, you know, is giving people enjoyment, you know, is the one thing that keeps people going, especially when they are locked up at home. Um, and there'll just have to be a way to do it, whether or not it's bubbles and things like that, because it takes the joy out of it. We already see things like VAR, which has been introduced in the Premier League, and that takes joy out of it as well, because you never know if you can celebrate or not celebrate a goal, and it's taken the spontaneity out of it that way. So we don't want to have to, you know, keep suffocating this sport because of, you know, something that unfortunately um, has been put on this planet. We're going to have to try and find a way to, unfortunately, live with it. Yeah, oh, look, I've seen it's, it's like the video, the video referee down here over with rugby league at the yeah. moment. Jeez, it, take, it takes the spontaneity out of the out of the game. All right, when you think it's a try and you've got to wait fourteen hours for for a decision to come through. Yeah. Eight hey, KFC sponsorships. It'd be remiss of me not to ask my uh, my team. I used to play up there for the Leeds Rhinos. How's how's Leeds United going in the comp uh, this year, and what have they done for Leeds? Oh, unfortunately, Leeds are not doing well over here um, at all. They, they have been hit by injuries really badly. Um, but unfortunately, Bielsa, he's a fantastic manager and we know that he is very set in his tactics, set in his ways, but it's just not looking good for Leeds at the moment. They could be relegated if they carry on. Um, they lost 7-0 to Manchester City, which I, I guess you could say is probably you know not maybe too shocking because of the opponent it was against. Um, but they played Arsenal the other day. They were really, really poor. Um, and I think the problem with Leeds is that, um, as I said, Bielsa is very stuck in, in, in his his ways and tactical ways and doesn't like to adapt um, and maybe it's a lack of not having the players that you know he, he can implement any other kind of system but they are very very open they're very exposed um, and they have been since the start of this season and, it, and it's a real shame because everyone really loved them they were kind of Premier League darlings it was a real fairy tale when they got promoted and they played great football last year but this season from day one they kicked off the season against Manchester United and lost 4-1 um, and you could see the problems already back then they were too open too exposed and Marcelo Bielsa didn't have a plan B um, for that lead side in, at a Premier League level and we're seeing that still now um, and I think unfortunately if they carry on the way they're going they will be in that relegation battle very very late on and I'm, I'm not too sure that they've got the players and the quality to get out of it. Outstanding Abby, that, oh, I couldn't agree more and, and it is Look, it's an interesting time, not just for Leeds, who are trying to fight their way back into the season, but the teams at the top of the top of the table as well. And then everyone in between, there's so much to work through as well as your on-field performance, which is always what we know in the Premier League can be the hardest part a lot of the time, but maybe not anymore. Really appreciate your time. It's been super insightful. You'll be absolutely thrilled to know that the pride of the West Coast in New Zealand, Paul Cole, just won his squash tournament in, in Egypt. So we're doing cartwheels around the <laughs> studio up here. We'll have Amazing. To ca- yeah, we'll have to catch up with you <laughs> another time. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, take care, Abby. Look after yourself. There you go. Abby Summers. Um, oh, that, that, is, that is brilliant.
that is outstanding from Paul Cole. He has just won the Black Ball Tournament over there in Egypt. He's knocked off Ali Farag, the world number one. Um, love talking to Abby, but I couldn't get my eyes off that, Kempi. That is huge. Mate, we've been watching that all the way through this morning, and he, he, he didn't just beat him. He walked the floor with him. Young Coley from the West Coast. Look at that. He's straight on his phone into the WhatsApp chat. Lads, I'll he's join you in a second. He's straight into scenes, mate. He just, he's, he's texting, texting Joe. Look, he's messaging Joe. <laughs> he, how good is he? How good is he? Oh, I'm going to tweet him. You absolute champion, Paul Cole. Um, here we go. They've put the official result up. Paul Cole knocks off Farag. He got through Al Shabagi. Joel Mankin. The, this guy, Paul Cole, is going to be red hot for the COVID uh, sorry, not for the COVID, for the, ha- the Halberg. I was going to say the COVID, the COVID year of Halbergs. The Halberg Award, the Supreme Award. That's a new trophy, is it? He's the gonna, COVID Award. The COVID year, year Award. Uh, he's right there. And actually on that, about who's had the kind of year, the greatest year, Sports Sports Personality of the Year Award. I want to talk about that after this, Kempi. I've got some nominations for you I want to put together. Congratulations, Paul Cole. We'll try to track him down and see where he's at. He's a great lad and uh, very proud to be a Kiwi right now. This morning we've been treated to it all because we were watching the black ball competition over in Egypt as our guy, Paul Superman Cole, is out there competing at the highest level in what has quickly become uh, more than a career year for our favourite West Coaster. Baz and Izzy aren't here. They would be absolutely stoked to have him on the show, but Kempi, we've managed to pin him down up there in Egypt. Colsey, how you doing, brother? Hey, mate, I'm, I'm loving life. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you must be buzzing, man. I, we saw you when you went and sat down in your little first-class little digs they have there for you, and you picked up your phone and just the grin. Yeah, man, it was, um, it's, uh, I, I was, it's sort of something I wanted to do for a while, to win, to win a squash tournament in Egypt. There's so many good Egyptian squash players. It was, um, it's tough, and I'm not sure how, how well it went down with um, the people in Egypt, but I was loving it, mate. I'll tell you, it went down like a cup of sick, mate. That's exactly what it looked <laughs> like on TV, Colsey. Um, but what made the game plan? You, you smashed him. What, what, was your, what was your game plan? Because it worked. Yeah, it was just he's, – he's got an extremely good volley. So um, I was just trying to put everything over the top of his volley so he couldn't um, put any pace into the game and probably target his forehand a little bit because um, he's – his backhand's just so good. Um, it's probably the best in the world. So I was just trying to shift shift a lot and then just be aggressive when I had the opportunities. Um, obviously, you don't get many opportunities against someone like Ali. So when it comes, you just got to sort of be quite aggressive and just take take them as they come. You can't. You don't really get too many second chances. So um, I was happy, man. Stuck to my game plan from from the first rally and got pretty tight in the third there. So I was um, I was sweating a bit over that, but happy to close it out. Some of those rallies in the third, uh, Ali, he kind of looked like he was he, he had him rattled, but then he kind of rallied, and I think he, he kind of was thriving in the end there. And and the way when you finished it, were you glad you finished it where you did? You probably didn't want it to go much longer, right? Nah, hundy, man, because um, <laughs> the crowd was getting into it too, you know, so that was sort of lifting him up. Um, as a, uh, The first two sets were great because I sort of had a lead the whole time, and I was keeping the crowd quite silent, which was um, – which was good, but then the third, it was like so tight, and the, and you know when everyone rally, you could just hear the crowd go nuts. And um, I thought if this goes longer than three, it's going to get um, very spicy. So, man, I was happy to close it out in three, love, because it was going to be tough if I lost that. Yeah, Paulie, I, I, this is a, a double-ended question here. Uh, the the fitness well, watching you watching you guys this morning, I, I was thinking, man, what sort of fitness regime does this guy? Do you have a, like a sports scientist and all that sort of stuff? And 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 if you do. Did you, did you get any of that extra funding that sport um, high performance sport New Zealand handed out this year? 
Um, yeah, man, we do we do a lot. Of, I don't have I've got a, a personal trainer and a physio. That's someone that helps me out with that. To be honest, I've done a lot of it myself. Um, squash doesn't have you know a lot of sports science in it. It's more um, it's more sort of just hard work and, and just sort of working out yourself. I mean, I'm typical. So you're like a typical a coaster. <laughs> now I've got I've got a full team around me now to be honest um, obviously you know making a bit more I can afford it now but um, yeah we did squash did get a, a big boost um, so that was great um, just for, for myself and, and the grassroots to try and try and push squash a bit more and you know get some of these young guys you know there was there's one young guy over here training in Cairo he came and watched me every day so um, it, it's great to see some more some more Kiwis abroad trying to trying to make it in squash Paul, it feels like this has been a journey with you since we came on air, started earlier in the year. Um, Baz and Izzy became massive fans. The whole station's been behind you. And on the 21st of December, to see you get up right at the end of your calendar year, uh, we're just so proud, mate. Like, how can you, and it might not have sunk in yet, but how can you put into words what this year has done for you personally and professionally? Oh, mate, um, just want to say thanks for the support as well. I always love getting the message that, you know, you boys want to speak to me. It's all, you always got great energy, so thank you. Um, oh, mate, it's been huge. Um, and just to all my finals I've won, you know, I've beaten Ali in the final. He's obviously the world number one. So that's been huge for my confidence and just a lot of belief in my game. Um, a, a, a few finals, I, I made a couple of finals earlier in the year and I, I just didn't have the confidence in my game that it was good enough to get over the line. And halfway through the year, I spoke to Stu Davenport and he just told me to trust in my game. And then once I got that, that sort of one win in, in the British Open, it just, I mean, everyone says it doesn't. It just launches your confidence through the roof. So um, I had a lot of trust in my game that it was good enough and I didn't have to, to change anything when I played these big boys. I could just sort of get my game plan down packed and then it was all about execution and just trusting in my game. Well, you, you climbed the ranks today, mate. You put your name back out there and, and we've, we've had a bit on the show this morning about father-sons and is it is it right when you're not quite father-son but your uncle's Tony Cole from the West Coast, the, the great rugby league player? Yeah, mate, he's uh, he's my uncle, so he was one of my role models growing up. Um, probably one of the toughest guys I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, so he, he obviously got a lot of advice for you. Yeah, he actually um, he, he trained me for a while in terms of fitness um, when I was still back on the coast and going back there. Obviously, I idolised him growing up, and he was you know he, he sort of took me out and, and did a bit of fitness stuff with me, a few runs, and um, yeah, he's still pushing me at fifty, is still keeping up with me, you know. So it was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was great to to sort of have his his advice and his his just just be around him, man. He was he was so tough and he would just never give anything. So, um, you know, just tried to learn a bit off him. Hey, uh, Colsey, we'll let you go, mate, because obviously you want to just go and celebrate. Or you might be locked up with that tomato pasta. But I had a con- on the tomato pasta. Here's a connection. Somebody texted the show and said, "Has anybody made the link? Paul Cole playing in the Black Ball Open and the famous Black Ball on the coast out of Greymouth, Black Ball Hilton, Black Ball Salami." And I don't know what was going on here. I've googled it. Black Ball Salami. Apparently, it's a pretty famous West Coast salami product. You ever heard of it? Yeah, mate. I went. I used to go up there when I was a, a young boy. I had family up there, so we used to make some uh, trips up to Black Bull. It's uh, <laughs> slightly different to um, the Black Bull over here, but yeah, there's definitely a link there, mate. <laughs> there you go. So maybe you could get some of that sent over. Stick it with your tomato pasta. Hey, um, from the whole of SCNZ, man, congratulations. What's uh, What does the new year look like? Do you guys have tournaments right through, or do you get a break and get to head back to um, where, you, where you reside? It's the Netherlands, isn't it? And um, park yeah, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading. 
sorry mate yeah i'm heading back there tomorrow um have christmas there and we man we just got some some news that it sounds like we're supposed to have a real big tournament in january but it sounds like with this new covid variant that's going to be cancelled so that's a bit of a bugger um but yeah sort of it's tough now man like we're supposed to have one 13th of january but it sounds like it's going to be cancelled so probably nothing till february so probably a quiet new year yeah, quiet as. All right, you enjoy you enjoy yourself, mate. You uh, go and celebrate well. And again, couldn't couldn't be proud of your brother. So well done, and uh, we'll catch up in the new year when Baz and Izzy are back. Yeah, congrats, mate. Thank you, boys. Love it. Thanks so much.